0: But let's just be thankful no one got hurt. Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Time Brews. I am your host, John Delray. Thanks for joining us for another episode. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe, hit like, share, etc. Get this out there for people so we can build a larger and larger community of Packer fans. So, uh, today's episode is going to be talking about the Chiefs-Packers preseason finale from last night. I'm going to be going over the five things that I said to look for yesterday, see how they developed throughout the course of the game, and then in addition, just a couple other little announcements, notes, etc. So let's get those out of the way first. Uh, First, I want to call out Jack Heflin, or shout out, I guess I should say, Jack Heflin played great last night and is making a real discussion as to whether the Packers should keep five defensive linemen or six. Chris Slayton in previous preseason games has played well as well, but last night Heflin really began to steal the show over and above Chris Slayton. Heflin had five tackles for last night, a couple of them for loss, uh, and he did have that one play where on, he just blew up. I think it was on a fourth down. He just blew up the running back. I know people were automatically saying on Twitter, but he wasn't blocked. So what? You have to make the plays that you are given at times. And he most certainly did. So whether the Packers keep five defensive linemen or six, I think really falls entirely on Jack Heflin and seeing what they decide to do with him, seeing if they need to put him on the 53 like they did last year, at least the initial one, or if they think they can sweep him through to the practice squad. One other note from last night, uh, Innes Gaines, the safety, injured his hamstring. I know I mentioned in the little intro that there weren't any injuries. Well, Hopefully, this is a minor one. Um, By all accounts, it didn't seem to be tremendously bad. They didn't rush him off to the locker room or anything like that. It could very well just be a hamstring tweak, so hoping the best for him. Uh, We'll see. I'm going to touch on this in a little bit, but we'll see if this affects anything with the 53, as he was kind of a bubble player to begin with. So diving into our pieces from last night, the very first position that I want to talk about. The wide receivers, Samare Toure, have yourself a preseason finale, sir. He wound up with six catches for 83 yards. He wound up being the highest overall PFF grade for the game entirely for the Packers, coming in at 77.1 overall. Um, Really, really strong game. Showed the ability to carry the ball through catches. Broke two tackles as well. Um, Really, really strong showing. The chatter for keeping eight wide receivers certainly grew last night um, with a lot of people discussing about whether Toure can be kept onto the practice squad. Can we retain him? What if we just cut him? What's going to happen? We don't know, but Toure certainly showed out last night making his best pitch to make this roster. Comping him directly against Juwan Winfrey, who realistically is his competition for that wide receiver seven job. We can say a couple things. One, Juwan Winfrey last night, only one catch for seven yards. That came on six targets. Not his best receiving night. A few of those targets were deemed as uncatchable, uh, at least by PFF. So take that for what you will. But we know that Juwan Winfrey is the better blocker. He certainly blocked well last night. We know that Winfrey has been vouched for from 12 a number of times throughout training camp including again in the interview last night. He just seems to be a guy that's going to make this roster. He does not have a higher ceiling than Samari Toure. Toure has the athleticism. But I guess I would just say Winfrey knows what he's doing. He does the small stuff better. And when you're looking at a wide receiver seven, who realistically is going to play teams a lot, and like I've been talking, just needs to be a piece of the puzzle of the pass catchers for the Packers, Winfrey probably fits the mold better. So if you're only going to keep seven wide receivers, I think Winfrey winds up being the guy, and Toure becomes your ultra-athletic next man up on the practice squad than you hope to include him next year after a bunch of these contracts run out like Cobb and Watkins and Lazard. But if you keep Winfrey and let Toure go to the 53, suddenly you're looking at a complete wide receiver room of Al Lazard, Randall Cobb, Sammy Watkins, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, Amari Rogers, and Juwan Winfrey. Where does that leave Toure? For me, it has to leave him on the practice squad. Moving on to topic number two, the edge. You know, we discussed yesterday how we were really hoping that some of these edge guys were going to do something to set themselves apart. That it wasn't just going to be this, this wishwash of mediocrity that we've kind of seen from the edge players. Flashes here and there, but then lack of flash on other plays. And it just didn't happen last night. Uh, one note to this is Tipa did not play. Gotta think that that's somehow injury-related. I did not hear anything in regards to Tipa, but I I just couldn't imagine that he's got this roster spot on lock and key that they wouldn't play him for that purpose last night. It must be something injury-related. So for Tipa, I mean, that's a big loss when you're looking at it strategically. He didn't get one more game to put something on tape to make his case. So that left the Packers with four outside linebackers actively vouching for spots last night. And that's Kingsley Engabare, Jonathan Garvin, Kobe Jones, Ladarius Hamilton. Realistically, those four players are probably going for three spots. And one, the rookie, I think Engabare already has one on lock. There's no way they're going to get rid of him. So you've got three locked up, right? So that leaves you with Tipa, Garvin, Hamilton, Kobe Jones vying for what is realistically two spots. And I don't really have much to say about this group from the game last night. There just wasn't much that happened. Hamilton did have one play, and I tweeted out about this, where the running back kind of barred him a little bit, and he just he wasn't able to finish the tackle, and it led to a larger gain. Those are the plays that you have to make to stand out when going for a roster spot. And Ladarius Hamilton yesterday, at least in that particular instance just couldn't wrap up, finish the play. He couldn't drive forward enough through the running back to make the tackle. A very nondescript group. I have to wonder, have to, if the Packers are going to explore some kind of free agent addition to shore up this group. I mentioned in a video earlier this week or in the podcast that Jason Pierre-Paul, Jeremiah Atachu, amongst a few others, are the available outside linebackers that could potentially beef up this group? Will the Packers make a move there to shore this up? Or are they comfortable with the rookie and Gabare and then some kind of mixture of, let's say, Garvin and Teepa? Take the wide receiver approach of all of these bodies together, make up some complete puzzle where everyone can do something. I don't know. I don't know. I think at this time, they're looking at moving forward with five on the roster. Guys that are already there. But it's a very nondescript group once you get past Preston and Rashawn. And that's not to take anything away from Engabari, who has shown tremendous flashes. It's just he's not a complete player yet, and he's a rookie. So are you going to rely on him to be the outside linebacker three or are you going to have yourselves in the exact same position that you found yourself so much last year, where Preston and Rashan have to come off the field, and all of a sudden you've got Garvin and Tipa and the, the quality of play just drops off dramatically? Is the rest of your defense good enough to where you're willing to take that hit? Or, like we saw last year, where they went out and got Whitney Merciless, are they going to go try to get somebody this year? The game last night really answered none of those questions. Just didn't see it. Moving on to the next spot, the running backs. And boy, did this become a fascinating look-see last night. Tyler Goodson against Patrick Taylor. Who is going to be running back three? Will they keep four, as I've called for in the past? The the keeping two conjecture won't go away at all. So who's going to get that RB3 job? anyone? Are they going to keep two? Or are they going to keep four? Or are they going to keep three? We don't know at this point, but last night, each one of the running backs seemed to show us exactly who they are in every way. Tyler Goodson, I think, really displayed the good, the bad, and the ugly. Patrick Taylor showed Mr. Reliable with very little flash. When I say the good, bad, and ugly for Tyler Goodson, I really mean it. The good was absolutely that 24-yard touchdown run with the spin at the two-yard line to finish it off. Wow. I mean, the burst that he has is remarkable. He Catches the ball incredibly well. He can finish runs that you cannot teach running backs how to run like that 24-yard one that went into the end zone. That's the good. Then he immediately followed up that touchdown run with the bad and the ugly. The bad being the pass pro that he absolutely whiffed on. The ugly being the botched kick return. Pass pro and special teams. What Lafleur and Gutekunst have talked about repeatedly being the most important traits for running back three. And Tyler Goodson failed in very big spotlight ways last night at both of those things, but yet excelled at catching and running like Tyler Goodson does. So I guess the question is, if you're looking for a guy based upon pure playmaking ability, then Tyler Goodson's your guy. If you're looking for someone on the other side of the coin, someone to reliably do what you want them to do, Patrick Taylor's probably your guy. Or you keep both and have the benefit of both, a backup for Jones and a backup for Dylan. Patrick Taylor last night had seven carries for 34 yards. It's a 4.9 average. Really healthy. He also chipped in three catches for 17 yards. Had a very nice blocking, including a 68.5 pass pro grade from PFF, which is on par with most tight ends. Patrick Taylor knows what he's doing when he blocks. As a direct comp, you're looking at 28 yards rushing for Goodson, 34 yards, For Taylor on the same number of carries one thing that I will beg you to keep in mind though is with Tyler Goodson and his seven carries for 28 yards 24 of them came on a single carry he also had five catches for 26 yards did Tyler Goodson Patrick Taylor had three catches for 17 you've got the flash versus the steady you've got the lightning The flashy, the inconsistent, against the Thunder. The low rumble that you know is always there. Which one? Neither? Both? This is one that I genuinely don't know what they're going to do, but I'm going to think on this this weekend. I'll tell you Monday what my official prediction is and and we'll see. I know what I would do, and it probably comes down to keeping both. Let's talk about that offensive line next. A really fascinating group. I Last night, Rashid Walker showed up. It was his first preseason game. I mean, I'm just going to rattle this off for you. There were four tackles last night. Four tackles for the Green Bay Packers that played over 20 snaps each. They all had a PFF pass blocking grade of 82 or more. And zero pressures allowed amongst the four of them. In fact, according to box scores, there were only about three pressures allowed on, I think, 43 dropbacks last night. That is remarkably good blocking. From the tackles, no less. Rashid Walker, Yash, Caleb Jones, and Zach Tom. Rashid Walker certainly gives him something to think about. I mean, he's dealt with injury problems all training camp long. He was considered the steal of the draft. But the reason that he existed until the seventh round in the draft was partially because of technique concerns and then also character concerns. Have those been alleviated? I don't know. We've only seen him in one game. In training camp, Walker was always relatively nondescript. So, is it fixed? Or did he go out and just have one really, really, really good game? Does that one game justify having to keep him on your roster and if it does then what do you do with the offensive line because as we've discussed you've already got nine offensive linemen who are locks to make this roster so if now if you're looking at adding rasheed walker or caleb jones who also has been playing out of his mind and has all the potential in the world as this monster of a human being what do you do walker showed up Caleb Jones showed up Zach Tom continued to prove day in and day out that he is amongst the best five offensive linemen on this team and he needs to be starting forget the Royce Newman Jake Hansen experiment Jake Hansen last night quickly looked overwhelmed Royce Newman looked like Royce Newman at times good at times bad but Jake Hansen, to me, is center number two. That's it. Royce Newman, I don't mind him being right guard, too. I don't mind him being in the tackle rotation for right tackle in terms of your depth. But he's too inconsistent to be starting. There's too many things to get short up. Zach Tom has walked in, yes, at times against lesser competition. But the man hasn't allowed a pressure all camp. Or all preseason, I should say. In camp, he really only got overwhelmed at times by guys like Kenny Clark. Which is perfectly acceptable for a rookie to be overwhelmed by Kenny Clark. But what you do on this offensive line, I don't know. But it's right now looking like the strength of the offensive line is at tackle. And all offseason long, we were concerned about the tackle depth. Now I think we're concerned about the interior depth. What happens with Royce Newman and Jake Hansen? I got to think they're both going to be making the roster. But then who does that leave off? Are you going to risk trying to slip Rasheed Walker or Caleb Jones into the practice squad? We're going to find out soon what the Packers are going to do. But these are some big, big decisions. I did see quite a bit of talk on Twitter this morning already, upon learning how well these tackles played, that... Let's get rid of both Hanson and Newman. Get rid of them. Gone. But then the question I immediately had is, if you get rid of Hanson, who plays center? Well, Zach Tom played center in college. Yeah, but he hasn't taken any snaps there for the Packers, really, since minicamp. Not really. Well, Elton Jenkins play center? Yeah. If that's your best use of Elton Jenkins... If Josh Myers goes down and misses any type of time, you're going to put Elton Jenkins at center? And then are you going to... I mean, Rashid Walker showed out last night, but are you going to bank on him to be the right tackle for a lengthy period of time? Newman? Tom? I don't know. I think you've got to at least keep some kind of depth in the interior. The question is, what do you do with these tackles? Do we see a trade maybe? Do the Packers try to trade from a position of strength? Maybe get themselves an edge player? Or a safety? We will find out. But what Gudekunst does here is going to be fascinating, and I, for one, am very excited to see how this shakes out. And that takes us to our last position, the secondary. Here you had Micah Abernathy continued to ball out He did not have the big splash plays like he had in week two, but still was a very steady player. Actually wound up being PFF's highest graded rush defense player for the Packers defense last night. He only allowed one catch for two yards. He played 12 special team snaps. I really like Mike Abernathy. I think that he's got to be the guy that makes this roster. I do. I think you've got Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, and then you know Sean Davis is making the roster. He's a lock. And then you've got Abernathy. I really like Abernathy. I think he's just a gamer. And he's shown out. So let's have him make the roster. One note, though, Devonta Kraus, I mean, he played very well in coverage. Had another strong performance in coverage, did Devonte Cross? But realistically, was it enough to make him stick? Probably not. Looking at cornerbacks, this is one of the tight battles on the roster for me. One of the purest, too, because you're not looking at this position and wondering, you know, two running backs, tackles versus guards. This is straight up cornerback six. Who's going to win? Rico Gafford, Keandre Thomas. Thomas through two games has shown better coverage ability. Gafford has shown preference on special teams in the last couple of preseason games. Last night, what happened? Who won the battle for cornerback six? Was it Gafford? Was it Thomas? We're gonna dive into some numbers because the Packers were very obviously judging these two last night on an equal playing field. Rico Gafford had himself 10 special team snaps last night, 20 coverage snaps. Keandre Thomas, nine special team snaps, 21 coverage snaps. Now Gafford did have that involvement in the huge busted play that allowed, I think it was the 51-yard touchdown for the tight end, and it was obviously some kind of miscommunication between Gafford and Tariq Carpenter, the safety linebacker, who I saw some people commenting on Twitter, on that play he looked like a linebacker, not a safety. And the truth is, we don't truly know what happened there. It's possible a couple things. If the Packers were in some kind of cover three, well, then it's on Gafford because he closed down. If the Packers called a cover two, well, then it's on Carpenter because Carpenter allowed him to just run up the sideline while Gafford was going down. I did not hear any of the coaches talk last night about what happened specifically on that play, but if the blame is attributed to Gafford, then suddenly his chances drop. Hard. If the blame is attributed to Carpenter, well, okay. Then we don't give that to Gafford. Call it a wash. But Gafford versus Thomas, it's close. Now, one thing, just diving into numbers even more, again, I'm referencing PFF. PFF uh, did grade both of these guys, Thomas versus Gafford, on rush defense last night. Gafford scored significantly better on rush defense than thomas but i didn't see any type of metrics regarding tackles or anything like that that came specifically on run plays so how they graded that i'm not entirely sure um if they just did it from a schematic standpoint in assuming what the guys were supposed to do against the rush and gafford just did better i'm not quite sure how they graded it but i can say gafford did grade significantly better than keandre thomas when it came to rush defense So, ultimately, Gafford Thomas. I feel as though Gafford has the overall higher ceiling. And I say that because the guy is newer to playing in the secondary. His background has been all over the place between corner and wide receiver. That's been widely noted. Just switched back to cornerback in the middle of the offseason program. Whereas Ke'Andre Thomas is just a corner through and through. So... For me, I think it still comes down to Gafford being cornerback six. Thomas, I think, is your cleaner coverage player, as evidenced by the first two preseason games. But I feel like Gafford has the athleticism that you want in corner six. I mean, when you're talking about cornerback six, that person hopefully is never going to see the field for coverage snaps. Hopefully. So you're looking for a teamer. To me, Rico Gafford's ceiling is higher in special teams than Ke'Andre Thomas's, So I would give the nod to Gafford. But we'll see. And we'll see if last night's game was truly the breakpoint for the Packers, where they said, you two are going to play the same number of snaps, basically. You're going to go head-to-head, and we are going to see who is taking this thing. We'll see. Because how the Packers graded it out is who's going to get that job. In my mind right now, it's Gafford. So, there you have it, another episode of Lombardi Time Brews, all in the books. Uh, I am off this weekend. This is a Monday through Friday podcast, so hopefully, if you're just checking this out for the first time today, you go back over the last couple of days, see what we've been doing all week. This does close the first week of Lombardi Time Brews. I will be back here on Monday. Talking about final preps for the 53-man roster. What are the final roster prediction tweaks? What's it going to look like when we get down to cut down day next week? So, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Like I said earlier, if you haven't yet, hit subscribe, hit like, follow me on Twitter, at John Delray, J-O-N-D-E-L-R-A-Y. I am there. I I have tweeted more in the last three weeks, and I've tweeted my entire life. Come check it out. Be a part of the conversation. I really hope you do. Thanks for sticking around for Lombardi Time Brews. I will see you on Monday. Have yourself an absolutely wonderful, wonderful weekend. Thanks again.